Greetings, Questa, and welcome to the Meddlesome Meeples. Grab an ale, sheathe your axe, and join us fireside. Here's your host, Matt Williams, with Richard and Heather. Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of the Meddlesome Meeples. I'm Matt. I'm Richard. I'm Heather. So, Richard, what games are we going to be talking about this week? We are going to talk about Fate of the Elder Gods. And we are also going to talk about... Line. Tyrants of the Underdark. Tyrants of the Underdark. Say it again, but with more precision. We are going to be talking about... Tyrants of the Underdark. We are going to be talking about (laughs) Tyrants of the Underdark. There we are. I said it three times. Does that summon it? Yeah. (laughs) 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 Of course, in Tiny Meeple's Big Talk, we're going to be discussing this week uh, a bit of a different topic. We're going to be looking at which uh, fictional characters we want to see release music, or that we think should release music, and <laughs> what uh, what kind of genre that would be and why. Most of it is shouldn't rather than should. I yeah, think. yeah, I think we was kind of we kind of had this idea of like who what would be really cool to see an album by what character, and then it kind of degenerated into let's please never let this happen hmm. um, but it Only was you can stop it uh, yep it was it was interesting we've got some recommendations for certain people so there we go mm-hmm. and we're also going to be looking at music yep as usual me and Matt will be presenting the Bard's Corner yep so we'll be maybe a little bit of music news and some reviews in there <laughs> well hope so we won't have a Bard's Corner we don't have a if, there, if there's no reviews we have no show <laughs> Well, if there was no news, you could just do loads of, like, just get loads of album and go, like this, don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd just do, like, a Hypnotoad album. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's that. We've also uh, got a, a Tome Talk. Yes, we've got a Tome Talk where you will be talking about the Under the Eagle by Simon Scallon. That's right. So, what's everyone been up to this week? Uh, well, for one of the two weeks, I was in Whitby. Yeah, you were on was really nice. Yeah, and I was slaving away editing and for our show. It made me relax more actually, knowing that you were working really hard. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, I was gonna say I just went to Cork Abbey with my family. Yeah, well, you were there too. But <laughs> I too was there. Um, <laughs> and you, you were there. My, family, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> my week's been a bit manic actually because um, my. My parents are both ill. My father was rushed into hospital mm. uh, shortly after. Rec- Let's look after them as well, um, Yeah, so I, he, we thought the, the doctor thought he'd had a stroke, but now he's thinking he's having seizures. So I've spent most of the last probably ten days up at the hospital. Mm. Uh, and in between, I've been doing a little bit of playing on Knights of the Old Republic. So I've had. Uh, I mentioned before that I've been playing through through that. I've actually finished the game twice now. Because uh, it got to a certain point where you do... I, I think it's safe to insert spoilers into this because it's an old game. Um, you get to a certain point in the game where you've got a, an option to go over to the dark side or to stay on the light side. So I I tried to finish it both because I wanted to see... I remembered uh, how it finished for the light side, but I don't think I ever, in my previous plays, it went dark. Oh, I bet you did. So I went full <laughs> Sith. Um, never go full Seth. Yeah, you should never go full Seth. But I went full Seth uh, to see what happens, and I was really disappointed because one of your friends died. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> because... what happened. So Matt talking about the Force has actually moved the camera slightly because he was so far <laughs> onto the dark side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Yeah, so um, there's a part in the game where you have to decide whether to go full Sith. And I decided to go full Sith to see what happens. Which meant I had to strike down the members of my party that were with me that wouldn't uh, kneel before me. And then when I went back to my ship, there was a confrontation. And I had to, I had to kill one of my favourite characters in the game. He killed Mission, the I, plucky Twi'lek. I felt so bad for having killed Mission. I tried everything. I tried to go back and try different sick. conversation op- options. I know, but I didn't want to kill Mission. I'd have killed anybody but Mission and Bastila. So I... you're right for going full Sith. You don't go full Sith without consequences. So basically, this has turned this whole section has turned into like Matt's moral dilemma in a <laughs> yeah. game section, which yeah. we should so, have every week. So what would you do if you were in that game? Would you go full Sith and take control of the galaxy at the cost of your close Twilight friend, or would you go Jedi and try and save the galaxy and be the hero? What would you do? I'd laugh at the person playing it. You basically. would. You would. And you know what? I don't think Heather's alone in that. No. Well, you seem to be far more attached to it than <laughs> than I may have been in the past. But then I was well, a, a Jedi and I just quite enjoyed the experience of helping people and saving yeah, the galaxy. Yeah, I enjoyed enjoyed it too, but I was just it was painful watching Mission die. So there we go. Let's get on with the show. It's a happy show. Let's not let's not let my mission tears sorry sorry. Still the show. alive on my safe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And on this quest report, we're going to be looking at another game of Lovecraftian horror, but this time from a bit of a different angle in Fate of the Elder Gods. Now, this is a recent Kickstarter that's mm-hmm. been delivered. Uh, we've tried out the basic game without the expansions. Yes. Um, so that's yeah, what we're yeah, going to be focusing expansions on. And the, but there was also like a little Kickstarter little extra cards that we had, weren't there? Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, and th- it had... Probably one of the most colourful rule books that I've seen. Especially like, for a Lovecraft game. Yeah. Lovecraft tends to be quite dark in, mm. in colours, don't it? But this is all purples and yellows and oranges, and it's just really, really funky looking. It looks like He-Man and Skeletor could be part of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah it does look I've like... never seen Lovecraft look this fabulous. <laughs> yeah, but it still did seem quite dark, didn't it? Mm. Even though, like, these are the um, little cultist guys that we had. So there's some, it's the yellow ones here, the yellow ones and the purple ones, and then there's red and green. And even with all these around the board, it still seemed pretty creepy, didn't it? <laughs> these, like, the, some of the brightest little uh, figurines that we've seen. I mean, the board itself is some fan, has some fantastic artwork on it. It's some mm. really beautiful colours, isn't it? So it's and... kind of abstract, isn't it? It's not like it's a map of Arkham or anything like that. It is a circle. Oh, it's got a cool thing on the back as well. I didn't know that. And um, it's got a big vortex in the middle. It's got like and the abyss, the, the... Yeah, and places around the outside. And basically, we are... Um, we each take on the part of a different cult, don't we? That's right. So there's uh, it, the game starts off with dealing a couple of cards to each player. And on each one will be uh, one of the different Elder Gods that you can... Um, be a follower of. So you're using these and little choose, ones to decide, yeah. aren't you? But then... And uh, so you, you deal two out, so each person has a choice of which two they get. And then you get, as a result of that, a card, which is like your uh, player large, your yeah, player play map, map. Yeah. Uh, which you'll be using through the game, which details which uh, special ability your faction has, 
And it's got a space there for, uh, called your lodge where you put your occultists on the yeah, board where investigators their, might go to investigate you. meetings. Yeah. And there's a track on there as well. So the game ends in one of two ways. Either someone will advance their uh, track from nine, sorry, from one all the way around to nine, um, and then Cthulhu appears and... and well, rules. it was when, when it, I did it, because I had the Cthulhu play in that and I managed to get the thing all the way around the outside, so... I'm sorry, the world ended last Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. It was, I was there, I was witness. Um, but then the other way is that someone can fill that track with elder signs. Which and, is bad. Which is very bad. And once someone's track is filled with elder signs, and it's surprisingly easy for that to happen. Yeah, yours was yours got quite full quite quickly, didn't it? Yeah. Then, yeah. Um, that player then loses, and then it's whoever of the remaining players has the least elder signs on their track. Mm. They will win. So there's two different ways to trigger the game. Either be the best here. or the least bad. Yes. So, yeah. And I like that. Okay. I think that's quite a nice <laughs> yeah. mechanic. I'd like sometimes I just think, well, you know, I'm probably not the best here, but at least I'm the least bad, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. And it's a much it's a, it's a nicer way of saying that I've won. <laughs> I was just the least bad of the lot of it. It's, it's something humble about that. <laughs> yeah. So um, we have these um, these little Cthulhu guys that come with it. They're like it seems to be kind of one of the weird statues that you get like in um, in Mansions of Madness, yeah. things like that. And that will be around the, the outside. There's two of those because you you can play this uh, either solo or two player. In both of those uh, scenarios, you would have both of those pieces out. But for a three or four player game, you just have one of these, and this moves around the board. So mm. each turn, because there's the six locations on the board. Plus the abyss, which is where um, your dead cultists go, and uh, yeah. when they've when they've used them, um, and with these six locations, when you move the um, it's called the fate piece. Is it? Um, when you move that piece to that location Second by playing a, a card on its current location mm -hmm. to move it to a different location, uh, that new location's ability is triggered. Yeah. And then if you've got more pieces there than anybody else. Or if you roll for a temporary control die and you get a, um, a Cthulhu symbol, which is like a mm -hmm. six, um, then you can get use its secondary ability as well. Yeah. And that is basically how you do different things in the game. That's the yeah. main way of triggering certain effects. Yeah, because and... we, we can be a bit too specific with it. Basically, your turn is you move this guy to somewhere else and with one of your cards. that ability. And do a thing there. So basically... We are all moving this. When it was a three-player game, there's only mm. one of them, wasn't there? So on our turn, you basically just have to move this to a different place, the place where you want to do something, and then you do something. And like you say, depending if you've got control or not, it can either be something mm. okay or something pretty amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. And is some... We're not going to go really into the mechanics of this particularly, though there are not, not comments I want to way. make about the mechanics of it. So, for example, this action of taking the piece moving it to a different location and triggering that location's ability we had a bit of a kind of different views on on this in a way because i we were, we were kind of thinking that sometimes it can be quite frustrating when you want to use a particular location's ability and cthulhu is already there because you can't yeah. you can't use it you have to move to a different lo location i thought that's um, just part of the mechanic though and that's yeah. a way that you can actually block people from doing something yeah. you don't want them to do you just go there 
the turn before they yeah. have a turn. And it's incredibly frustrating yeah. because there was quite a few times where I really wanted to do that and I couldn't. But at the same time, I kind of like the fact that there is a mechanic that you can sort of block people. There has to be a, a constraint. I think, yeah. yeah, but I think it would be good if there was a way around that. So, for example, you play a card to uh, move from one in, from one location to another. Um, you can play two uh, cards with a matching symbol to make a wild move, which is the only way you can go to the other world's location, apart from using the gate card. Yeah, you're getting yeah. quite complicated now. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and I think it would be good if, like, if you played the gate card, you could go to anywhere, including... Including where you were. Where you, where, you know, where it's already been. Yeah, so basically Something... if you block someone, you're making them use up more cards. Yeah, mm. I think that would be an interesting mechanic for it yeah. to use. And it might be something that, at some point, might even be house-ruled. Yeah, you could yeah, if you it might wanted, to, if you might wanted to do that in the FAQs or something. Or, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So there was that which I didn't think was too big a deal because it just seemed to be part of the mechanic yeah. to me. But the one thing that I did think about this mechanic was that there seemed to be two locations that were like more powerful than the others. Yeah, and we were, and it seemed to be. I didn't know what could break us from the cycle of just going between the two. Well, um, because there was the ceremony where you could pick up a gate card and also use your special move, mm. which is pretty powerful. And then you, once you've got your gate card, you can go to the other worlds yeah. and sacrifice some of your guys to increase your summoning track. And it seemed like it was basically a race to do that the most. That track is quite a powerful way of advancing forward. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the, I think some of the, different faction abilities feel like they're more powerful than some of the others yes i don't think they're necessarily massively well balanced but probably but, but i don't think yeah but then i don't think they're that disparate that play styles couldn't accommodate that so for example yeah. if i know you've got a particular ability i might just playing a slightly different style yeah. um, and i think yeah. you could probably negate them it's just that some definitely seem more powerful than others yeah. um but thinking about what you just said about going from the um other world's location to the ceremony location. The problem is, is I found this when I was playing this. You have to be able to go back to get more cultists. Yes. Otherwise, when you run out, you can still do an action, but then where you would need to place a cultist on the board and you haven't got one, mm. you end up getting um, two back, but you also get an elder sign. Yeah. I so think there's it... like a real penalty for for doing that. So you have to keep going to the location on the board called the gathering to get more of your uh, cultist back. Yeah, yeah, there is that. Um, and then you need to sometimes go to the street. You can, the streets of Arkham is basically a quick case of messing up another player, isn't it? Yeah, you, you can, can go send there. investigators to raid their lodge. You see, one of the most interesting things about this for me is the fact that we, we play a lot of Lovecraftian games, and we're usually the good guys, we're usually the investigators. Yeah. This time, we're the bad guys, but we, there's still investigators in the game, and we can send them after other players. Yeah. That's a really interesting mechanic, because you can try and mess up another another player with those. It's almost as if those investigators are us a few mm. months ago yeah. playing Mansions of Madness. <laughs> Before we succumb to Lovecraftian horror. <laughs> yeah, there's no going back now. No. So you kind of do have to go to um, the gathering, the ceremony, the museum, because that's where you get your artefacts, which can give you some powerful abilities. Yeah. And the library, which is where you get your cards, are all really important if you want to be able to make the other world's location really pay off. It so is, yeah. I would say, actually, they are a couple that, as you say, you could just keep moving from other worlds to the ceremony. But mm. you'd run out very quickly I and think, have to do yeah. other things. I think we had actually built up quite a few 
of our little guys mm. by going to the locations before that. It seemed to be more the second half of the game yeah. that me and you were racing to these places. And it was partly because of my um, my Cthulhu ability um, that I could use at the ceremony. Mm. I think that kind of helped me to get back some of my cultists. So yeah. that, that kind of helped. So... Yeah, like you were saying, I think it depends on what special abilities each person has, which is going to be different each game because it is a bit randomised, isn't mm. it? But um, most of the abilities are common to everybody because they have to do with a location. Yeah. So um, and even yeah, if there is a powerful If a player ability, has a good yeah. powerful ability from the player, Matt, you can negate that by your actions on the board. You can mess them up in other ways. Yeah. So yeah, it can help. I think it was quite balanced what we did. And... I think one of the most fun aspects of it was the curse because um, <laughs> there was one point where I, because of an item I got from the museum, I mean, I didn't have to use this, but it came with this curse as a downside. And we thought that was quite a good mechanic, didn't we? So it's we... kind of very much like the crossroads in Dead of Winter. It was, it's, yeah. It's, well, it's pretty much the exact same thing in the sense of um, Richard then... Because he was cursed, the player to so player to your right, player to your left, something like that. Player to your right uh, has to take a card. So that was Heather, and and she really enjoyed like having that over my head for a time. It's like every time you were going to do something on the board, it's like hey, hey, hey. Because I didn't know what triggered this curse, but Heather obviously had read it. So as soon as I did something that would trigger it, she had to read it out, and and it uh, does it causes an effect on you. Yeah, that's, yeah, it did. We say curse. That's what the curse does. You, uh, you're basically waiting to trigger something that's bad that's going to happen to you. Mm. So it kind of makes you think like, should I do this? Should I do that? And they are quite bad, and potentially could even stop you winning on your last turn. It if, could be anything, if, if depending yeah. on what, what's so, drawn out. That, that was, was a really interesting mechanic. Yeah. I mean, for me, I absolutely love the art. The art on the, the board great, yeah. is brilliant. It's really good colours, really well put together. The uh, the components in this, the actual cultist components, I love. The uh, the little fake pieces I like, I've got better, but I really like them and they do a good job. Let's just but, try it with this. Oh, yeah, yeah that, too that's big. Well, yeah, it is pretty scary though. Uh, but the dice... The dice are amazing in this game. They are cool. Um, yeah. And you've got like different sides that'll have a tentacle, another side will have uh, your two different, your traditional sort of HPL designed uh, Alder sign, mm. and the more modern starry one. Cthulhu the, face. Cthulhu face. That's the doozy. Yeah. That's the one you're mostly trying to get when you roll these things. But there's only one of them on each die. Yeah. Like a six. And but all in all, these are just brilliant. And the miniatures that come with the uh, Beast from Beyond expansion are quite nice as well so I'm looking forward yeah, to using those that'd be a different and aspect. one of the things I like about this game is it takes a lot of the things back to more the HPL uh, design mythos so for example the elder sign is like the leaf type elder sign um, and some of the depictions of like the uh, the deep ones for example in the expansion mm. they're more in line with the depiction of them in the original HPL books like right. um you know, Shadow of Innsmouth, for example, mm -hmm. than they are in any any of the other uh, Cthulhu type games I've played. So I really like that element of it too. Mm. Obviously, that's all aesthetics. The gameplay has still got to be there, and I do find that this was a really fun game to play. And yeah. once we got going, it was really smooth, really quick. We didn't mm. have to keep thinking, "Oh, what does this do again? Let's check the rule books on this." And... Yeah, yeah. There's a a few things that were a bit difficult to get used to, but then we did after mm. a while. Like the fact that you put the card where the fate piece is 
mm. but you have the symbol on it that you want to move him to. Things like that were a little bit different. Mm. It got a bit confusing at first, but once we got the hang of it, we were just kind of putting a card down, moving him. And there is some depth to that as well, because when you put the card down, it's not just discarded. It goes into a column, and then you need to, you'll have cards that you can play that have special abilities. Um, and you need to have, for example, your, your card you want to um, ready and play might say, you might have like a, a green, a yellow and red symbol at the top of it. Um, but you can only play, use that and ready that if the active location, the column of cards next to that, has those colours in it. Yeah. And once that's been used, you discard that column and you'll start again. We kept having to go through the columns and see, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> see whether but we could use it. It's quite them. interesting because you might end up thinking, well, I really want to be able to have this used so I'm going to move uh, Cthulhu to a location just so I can do that Yeah, and uh, that can be a factor in where you, you decide to go so there's a lot, yeah. there's a surprising amount the more you sit down and think about this game there's a lot more depth to it and a lot more uh, strategies to the game than maybe is first apparent. One of the things I really enjoyed doing as well because I was Ithaca I got to place, uh, use my ability and place some of these little tokens. They're like freezing abilities, and, aren't they? Uh, well, they're not not what specifically. They're, they're um, winter squall tokens. I knew it was uh, something tokens. about the cold. Um, but you, but it meant that when I triggered my uh, guy, my faction's ability, I could shuffle, draw three of these, and then place them on locations on the board. And when someone went there, they were triggered. You kept messing things up for us, yeah. So that really was fun because I, I kind of knew what was the, in certain locations and I got to pl put them places where I thought you guys wanted to go to and I re really enjoyed that. So there is, as I say, there's a lot to this game. I personally would recommend this. I think mm. if you like Lovecraft, you definitely want to try this out because it's something different to the normal Arkham Horror type games. Yes. Yeah, I love this game. Yeah. Um... Like you say, it's it's a bit weird for us to be playing from the other side for once. But if you're gonna do that, then you want it to be like a scary circular board <laughs> with a monster that's moving around it, and uh, yeah, basically just trying to keep away from very generic type of investigators. I mean, mm. we don't care about them too much, other than the fact that they're in our way, and um, yeah, just seeing it from there from the cultist point of view for once is really interesting and. The mechanics seem to work really well, mm. and like you say, it flowed really well, and yeah, I would definitely recommend this game as well. Turns were really quick, mm. people knew what they were doing very quickly, you didn't have to think about uh, too much. Yeah, definitely one for your Lovecraft fans out there. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the Quest Report, where today we are going to talk about Tyrants of the Underdark, a game that we did play recently. So, do you want to give us an overview of what this is about? Okay, so Tyrants of the Underdark is a deck building game with area control uh, mechanics in it as well. Mm -hmm. um, you have a starting hand of uh, nobles and soldier cards. Which are a bit is, like every deck builder. Yeah. It's ones you can buy with and ones you can fight with. Yeah, basically. And you use those to buy new cards from the market to augment your hand mm. in doing doing so you can score points for the cards that you own at the end of the game because each card yeah. has a point value actually each card has two point values um, a basic point value and one that you can get um, if you 
promote a card, which, which is basically means you never you, use it again. Yeah, you take it out of you play a card that allows you to promote a card, which means you put this card out of play. Yeah. Um, but it's worth more points to you at the end of the game. That's one way of scoring points. The other way of scoring points is through area control. So, for example, there are there are parts on the areas on the board which for having full con- total control over mm-hmm. will give you victory points at the end of each of your round. Yeah. But at the end of the game, you also score victory points for territories that you control by majority control. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for ones that you have total control of, you gain bonus points. So there's different ways of getting points during the game. Yeah. Um, and all of that is scored at the end. There's also, you get uh, points at the end of the game for enemy troops that you've um, basically captured in, in your trophy yeah hole. yeah you, if you capture any then you have them on your little character sheet don't you yeah so. and you can get those through different uh, actions by either assassinating a troop or supplanting a troop mm-hmm. those are different things that you can do so on each turn you're going to use cards from your hand uh, to you know improve your hand or to take control of territories to deploy uh, troops to assassinate enemy troops to place spies uh, it's quite interesting because you only start off with one troop on the board. Each player does, and then there's the uh, like a neutral army that occupies quite a lot of territories, yeah. and they represent different denizens in different areas of the Underdark. Which, it's all over the place. Yeah, all all of which are unaligned, um, and you have you you end up supplanting or assassinating those as you go through the game. But to take control of different areas, mm. you either have to uh, place play cards. Uh, to allow you to place troops where you either already have what is called presence, which means there's either a troop there or a troop of yours adjacent to it. Yep. But you also have presence if you've got a spy in a place. Now, spies, yeah. you don't have to have presence where you place a spy. You can just place a spy anywhere. I thought and that bit was quite interesting, placing yeah. spies. Because they were just on the corner of a, a box, weren't they? Yeah, rather than actually occupying a position on the board. Mm. Um, and they they were quite interesting because it allowed you to go in different directions and play different effects on different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, essentially, you've got these two elements. You're trying to build up a really good hand that's going to give you points, and you're also trying to build up uh, areas of control that are going to give you victory points. Yeah. And certain ones will also give you more... Uh, in- influence, which is ha- what the income of the game is referred to as in this, uh, mm. to spend each round on on other cards as well. Yeah, so it's got two elements that mm. I really, really like in in games: area control and deck builders. Yeah, and those are things that you very much like as well. Yeah, but we kind of disagreed on the way that these came together in this game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt liked this game, and I didn't basically. So, <laughs> <laughs> um. For me, though, the, the cards are amazing. Uh, the artwork is brilliant. Um, the um, the deck building aspect of it, I really enjoyed. I did like that. It's just, and I normally would enjoy territory control, but just not the way it's done here, because the troops are all very similar. They're all the mm. same, basically. Yeah, they're, all these little they're just different colours, but they're the same kind of shield markers, aren't they? Yeah, and they're kind of they're tiny, and the areas that you're putting them on are just boxes and you're Mm. just kind of filling up circles on the boxes and to me if they'd kept it thematic a bit more there if they were like little pictures of towns maybe that you're Mm. putting them on or something like that then it might have been better and also if the there were less of the soldiers but they were more powerful some of them some of the more important territories do have little pictures that go with them some of them do but you're still filling up the boxes underneath aren't you that's it yeah and to me 
that was too fiddly and a lot of the time we were just trying to fill up spaces before the others did it seemed to be like a race because me and Matt were actually kind of trying to block each other a bit weren't mm. we on the on the pinch points between the boxes we were kind of putting our own little soldiers and then assassinating them and while we were doing this backwards and forwards uh, Heather filled up the top bit pretty yeah. much completely with her little guys so that it seemed to be a race at the start mm. and then it just seemed to be a bit of a struggle after that um but yeah, I, I still really enjoyed the deck building aspect of it because mm. there were still cards I really wanted to get, mm. and I kept devouring cards from the from the marketplace to, to stop me getting them on my turn. The really good dragon <laughs> ones, yeah, that were worth like eight influence. You devoured a dragon. Devoured several <laughs> dragons, yeah, and then we all had to buy like smaller dragons after that because you get four different uh, decks in the um, base game, and then there's an expansion that gives you two extra decks yeah. as well that you can get so altogether there's six and you pick two of these decks and you mash them up to make the market deck yeah but then like in many other deck building games you've got some basic cards that are in the market from the start that are just like a stack of like uh, advanced soldier cards and the priestess of lilith which gives you more influence and, and they're kind of that's kind of standard across a lot of deck builder games to have some more powerful versions of your basic cards like the explorers that you can always get cheaply realms. you know yeah. so there's that but for me, I mean, there's so many things that I really like with this game. Mm. It's not... When I say area control, it is a little bit different in the sense of you can try and take territories, but holding territories is really difficult because there are cards like Supplant, which allows an opponent to remove one of your guys and put his guys in place. Uh, I say guy troop. Um, and things like that. You can supplant... Some cards will allow you to supplant a troop anywhere on the board. So it's a really good way of getting a foothold, but it makes it very difficult to hold onto territories. So in uh, some ways, you're better off getting like a quick smash and grab for points and then maybe uh, not trying to consistently hold a territory throughout the game. And I think as well that comes through uh, not just from that, but the fact that when you assassinate an enemy troop... Uh, or supplant an enemy troop yeah. rather than that returning to your enemy supply there are cards that will say you know return an enemy troop or an enemy supply to its owner yeah. but most of the time you don't they go into your trophy hall and you get points for those at the end of the game but that means that it's possible to lose a lot of your troops and not be able to put more troops on the board so you you can be coming to a point where you're thinking well I've only got five troops mm. I've got six territories I can't possibly hold these six territories so you kind of you've got to play with like a bit of a different mentality to a lot of area control games mm. where it's critical that you hold on to your territories yeah um because at the end of the end of the game you don't in most area control games you would score points for the territories you control at the end yeah um, you were racking up points what what you've got yeah. how long you hold them yeah right um and it's quite possible I mean, at the end of the game there's some of the territories i scored so much more points from the end of round points that i'd built up through the game mm. than i did for actually having that territory at the end of the game yeah so there is that to consider as well i like the little spies like like we said that makes it quite interesting because the you spy just... is one of the more interesting aspects of it i thought yeah because even if you don't necessarily do something with that spy there's a lot of cards that will give you like a, a bonus or something for returning one of your own spies and taking it off the board so Basically, sometimes yeah. um, you're putting spies down just so you can then trigger that bonus and take them off. Sometimes even within the same round, yeah. you're doing that. Well, basically, that's the spy having done his job and yeah. completed his mission. Into... And I like that. Um, I like, I say, the different decks that come with it. I think having mashing up two decks 
It gives you more replayability. Yes. Um, yeah. It's got just enough area control in it that I enjoy it, but we, as Richard says, he likes deck builders. We both like deck builders. Many of the games mm. we play and really enjoy have deck building elements in them. So yeah. for me, this kind of this ticks all the boxes. Mm. Well, yeah. To me, for the the deck building aspect of it, like I've said, um, I think that works really well. You said to me, if, if memory serves, when we first when we played this, actually, that um, you would have kind of liked the game uh, or a version of this game that is just that deck building element. I thought that at the time, but then since then, I've kind of thought. I think they could have just done the territory control bit a bit better. Yeah. And then it would be a better game. But I do... Yeah, I would enjoy it if it was just the cards fighting the cards. Because my yeah. thought on that was uh, the fact that a lot of those cards are to do with the things that well that happen on the board, mm. really. Um, so I thought it would... I would play a, a deck-building game based on this that was purely deck-building. But I'm just not sure how that would be, how that would form, because yeah. you, you'd be missing too much of a chunk of... Yeah, yeah, probably. But then it would be a bit similar to other deck builders that we've played. Like maybe you'd have influence that you would lose or something. I'm, I'm not or, trying to write another game. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying. Uh, or something like Star Realms, where you've, you've got an amount of health you're trying to damage an opponent. Yeah, and that kind that of thing. That kind yeah. of thing. But no. I, but now we're talking about a completely different game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm just thinking that if they just maybe put as much. Well, I'm not. I can't. Fathom how I don't I don't know how much effort they put into everything. The the artwork behind all the stuff that you actually do on here is really good. Yeah, it's just the um, I I just think that the way the graphics are in front of it, in front of the artwork, it just kind of takes me out of the immersion a bit. I think I I'm, I'm with you to some extent on that because I think if you actually look at the board. The actual background artwork on the board, you've got your different palaces and everything, mm. and different locations. There's some really beautiful artwork on the board, really yeah. nice colours, similar to Abyss yes, in the yeah. kind of colour scheme that it's gone for. Um, but they all kind of, it's almost like you've got your different layers in Photoshop, and someone's had that as the base layer, and they've put these little boxes on the front. Yeah, that yeah. could have been done so much nicer, as you say, if you'd had more little town pictures. And because the thing it is, it like old and scrolly or something. Yeah, but they've kind of. They've got that to some extent because some of these locations, the more important locations like Menzo, Branzen, uh, and some of the others, these do have little circular pictures, which is where your little tokens go. Yeah, the tokens locations. are quite good, aren't they? They are. Yeah. Um, but it just, yeah, they could have done something nicer rather than just the little yeah. boxes with the circles. The, the other board is on. good, though. The one with the uh, the marketplace. Yeah, the market board. That's yeah, good. There's and quite good illustrations behind them all, and there's a proper place for putting devoured cards, and it's got a picture of a monster eating an elf. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. But so, you yeah, like I elf sorrow, don't you? Yeah, basically. Yeah, <laughs> they do it so well. <laughs> but um, yeah, another thing I'd, I'm not too keen on is victory points. Um, and a lot of games, I'm, I don't really like that. I, the last one we were talking about, um, Fate of the Elder Gods, is it? Yeah. That one had like a summoning track for mm. it, and that was very similar to Victory Points, but they've actually called it something thematic, mm. and that to me is a, is another thing that kind of takes me out of it a little bit because it's like you're doing all this, thing, you've got these cards, and they're like your generals and your troops and your soldiers, and you're deploying them and everything, and then you're doing that in order to get victory points and suddenly you crash back down again and you're you round a table with some mm. people and it, like you're trying to win a board game yeah. so i just think it would only be a very small thing but i think they've got i think a lot of your games have got into the habit of having 
victory points. Mm. Whereas I think if they just think of something if more they've dramatic, called it influence points, man. Yeah, if they call it happy. something like that, I would be happy. And that's such a, a tiny detail, but when you couple it with the it, way the artwork is. I'm not going to lie to you, Richard. Yeah. It's a bit pedantic. It but is pedantic. I gave yeah. you a platform to yeah, use. Yeah, that's it. So. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so basically, any game that uses victory points, that will be a thing that I'm not too keen on. But I don't normally mention it because mm. there was there's so many that use it, and it's it's only a very minor issue with me. But mm. um, but yeah, that is is one thing. One of the most important things for about a game for me is. Um, being able to kind of get a bit lost in it, mm. and, the immersion of the yeah, game. Yeah, and I, I really don't mind like who wins or anything like that. I was trying to, I was really trying to think about it because the last two games we've played, I've loved the one that I won and I've hated the one that I lost. <laughs> and I don't want, I keep analysing. Yes, yes, yeah. I've started to see a pattern here. <laughs> this is the thing. Richard normally, likes games; he can win. <laughs> yeah, no. But then I, I've thought in about fairness, it, though, I'd already know. played this before when I um, played against you, so. That's your it, first yeah. game of anything is always going to be a learning game. If you if you if it's the first time you play somebody and someone else has, uh, knows that game and knows how to play it and knows how the tactics work, you're always going to be at a disadvantage. You always kind of expect to lose, but yeah. you should still be able to enjoy the journey. That's it. And, and before if, I started losing at this, I'd already I didn't like the points that I don't like about mm-hmm. it now. And thinking about it, there's a lot of other games that I always get absolutely battered on, and I still love. Like Cry Havoc. Mm. I don't think I've ever played that and not been completely trounced, but I would still love to get that out again and play it. So yeah. um, I don't think it's quite, I don't think I'm quite. It's not being a deciding petty, factor. But no. but no, I'm suspicious of myself though, so I don't but, know. You know. But to be honest, it's the, it, that's the main issue. I mean, I, I've with Dominion, mm. I'm not a massive fan of Dominion. I can yeah, enjoy yeah. a game of Dominion, but my biggest issue with that is the fact I'm generally uh, raising income. To buy victory points, yeah, and it's 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 not just the fact that it's got victory points; it's the buying of victory points that I don't particularly like. That is a bit you of know when you look at something like yeah. Thunderstone, for example, which is mm. basically um, Dominion with a dungeon. You but you've got opportunities to like explore a dungeon and you fight a monster, and that monster gives you victory points. That to me was makes that game stand above that's fine because Dominion. basically so, it's trophies isn't it yeah yeah so I'm, I'm happy with stuff like that and i'm i quite like the fact that your cards your mm. deck is worth points yeah um and i really like this pr- aspect of promoting to get more points from it because mm. not only is it good to promote a card um to get rid of your weaker cards yeah but i like the fact that you if you've got a really good card in your hand you're kind of thinking do I want to lose this card for the points? Mm. And you're kind of thinking, well, I, I I really want those extra points, but I really like this card, and I've just bought this card. You know, so it's like you're promoting them to a desk job. Yeah, where they're not going to be in the field anymore. Yeah, <laughs> so that is interesting. It makes you think about this. Yeah. But yeah, I love I love the theme of this game. I love the artwork on this game. Apart from, as we say, those little boxy towns on the map. Yeah. Um, I love the combat. The way it combines two of my favourite things: area control and deck builders i do think as you say they could have done made the area control of it more interesting yeah um but to me that's just almost like a sideshow to the um mm. to the actual deck building and the playing yeah. of the cards i think if people love this universe then they'll love this game because oh yeah. the cards are so thematic and um and really on on that it, it does win really but uh, I, I do love all the artwork and everything on this game. Um, it's just is the gameplay a, of it. Is this a game, I think we're saying, that you, you wouldn't be able to recommend then? 
I wouldn't recommend it, no, not personally. But just because I I didn't really enjoy it, so I can't really recommend a game that I I don't enjoy myself. But obviously you can. So basically, yeah. people who who like who view games the same way as you do might might like it. So yeah. So there you go. Um, this one where Richard isn't recommending it, but I absolutely love love this game. Um, and I'll speak to Richard privately later about the subject to try we're and gonna, change his yeah, mind. Yeah, we're going to go fight in the field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fighting talk. <laughs> Is that the fight music? <laughs> Tiny Meeple's Big Talk. So on this Tiny Meeple's Big Talk, uh, we are going to be discussing another important question. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the basis for this is the fact that, well, the cat from Red Dwarf had his single in nineteen ninety three, tongue tied. Did he actually release that? Yeah, as a single. <laughs> I thought it, it was reached... just in his dream. <laughs> well, it was in Parallel Universe, wasn't it? Which was episode six of season two. Um, but okay. he released it as an actual single, and it reached number 17 in the UK charts. Hmm, you could. So, well done, Cat. Shame was three million light years away from us yeah. at the time. <laughs> then you've got Leonard Nimoy, Mr. Spock. Yes, he... with his Bilbo song. The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins is only three feet tall. Bravest little hobbit of them all. Yes. Bravest little hobbit of them all. <laughs> and you're counting that as being Spock, aren't I'm you? I'm counting it as being Spock, and I'll tell you why I'm going to count that as being Spock. The fact that in the music video, he's got Spock's hair because he was doing... It was 1967, and he was shooting season two of Star Trek. Mm. In the middle of the earth, in the land of Shire, lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire. So, the, what's become the music video was basically like an appearance on a show... But he's still got that Spock hairstyle, and he just looks like Spock in casual clothes. He does, yeah. So, and I just love the idea of Spock singing about Bilbo. Yeah, <laughs> well, Spock did do music in Star Trek, didn't he? Sometimes, yeah. like that the time when they picked up a load of space hippies, and they <laughs> and Spock like got on with them really well. But mm. and they all hated Kirk because he loved the rules. <laughs> and then, of course, there is um, a Klingon heavy metal band called Stovacore. Okay, so that's not actually Star Trek characters doing it, but it's... It's people dressed up as Klingons singing in Klingonese. That's enough for me. singing about yeah. Kronos and things like that. But you can't get more Klingon than that, really, yeah. you? So, yeah. It's pretty it. hardcore metal, so, <laughs> you know. Which is what they would be into. Yeah. It's what Kaelas would listen to. It is. And this is what we thought we'd do What for our uh, big talk this week. What other characters, not, necess- not the actors or actresses that play them, but what characters would be uh, releasing uh, or performing music in the real world. Mm-hmm. And what genre would they be? Yes, it was mostly about uh, yeah, what genre it would be. It's hard to s- I would think it would be like original music, so they would like make their own kind of song, wouldn't they? But yeah, I was thinking about what kind of of song they might might play and I kind of realized that a lot of characters especially if I think about other ones that are from Star Trek. Mm. A lot of them do kind of express some kind of 
fondness for particular music or they like play Riker music. with his jazz. Trombone. Anything with a trombone, yeah. Which I understand he's not great at, but then he gets better as he goes along, doesn't it? So. I have to admit, you know the only reason I found out about uh, Stovacor? Yeah. Was because... Uh, the band, not the place. Uh, was because... I really, I tried to find, you know when you like sometimes when you watching, died with honour and went there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know when you're watching Next Generation or Deep Space Nine and Worf's talking about his Klingon operas? Mm-hmm. And there are some times where you, you see him listening to his Klingon operas and I always think they sound really like cool and dark and foreboding and impressive. So weird, I, yeah. I tried to find them online. I thought maybe someone's like grouped them all together or something in, a, in like an online Dax, video. She did it. Yeah. <laughs> she bothered them all. <laughs> And uh, anyway, in searching for that, that's how I found Stovacor. Uh, so, but yeah, there are definite characters in there that like particular kinds of music. But it was yeah. kind of thinking what you know, who, what they do. So, for example, I was thinking of Marvin from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right. And if he was releasing some sort of single or an album, I it's going to be emo. Having the motivation. Yeah, it would be emo. It would yeah, be. yeah, Android for my Valentine. Yeah. <laughs> But you can definitely see, because I mean, he's, he's, he'd definitely be doing something that would be really, really depressive. It would be dark. You know, yeah. <laughs> something that would make Radiohead sound happy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'd basically be like No Surprise or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, imagine he would do something like that. Yeah. Um, so some of the other ones that have expressed what kind of music they like, um, a lot of them tend to like jazz, don't they? I've found. That's especially in Star Trek. You think like because they were always at that um, in Deep Space Nine they were always at that like swing bar weren't they yeah. in the holodeck and um, Vic Fontaine's yeah Vic Fontaine's one yeah and they they did that song at the end of one of the seasons didn't they <laughs> so yeah where Cisco got up and sang yeah, yeah. I think Cisco would definitely do that kind of thing I know Avery Brooks does so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but we're talking about Cisco this yeah. time so yeah. But yeah, there's different characters. I was thinking as well, you know, Beast from the X-Men. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see him doing a bit of thrash metal, can't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, with him being like Kelsey Grammer, you think kind of like operatic kind of thing or something kind of classical. But if it's actually Beast, then yeah, yeah. it would be kind of, it would be thrash. He's blue, <laughs> he's furry, he's going to be doing some sort of thrash metal, definitely. It would be some Latin in the lyrics or something. <laughs> 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 um, I was also thinking Wolverine. He'd probably be doing some... I can see Wolverine doing some sort of punk rock. And yeah. I'll tell you why I can see him doing some punk rock. Well, most punk rock guitarists like to smash up their guitar, but they need something to do it with. So they're like, grab a, grab their smash guitar the and like smash it into the amp or something like that. Wolverine will just sh- literally shred his guitar. <laughs> yeah, he's got a dude shredding literally... Well, punk rockers don't normally shred, but yeah, he can just Wolverine he would. can just play it and then at the end just throw it up and as it's coming down, just like slash it into <laughs> a few bits. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. That would be, be a lot of fun to watch him do that, wouldn't he? He wouldn't yeah. need anything to smash it against. He, he'd be smashing it against himself. Yeah, so that, that is a good aspect. Um, Deadpool would be doing a rap somewhere. He would, yeah, about being Captain Deadpool, no, just Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. I, the other one I was thinking of, um, I, I think Swamp Thing would do classic rock. And I'll tell yeah. you why I think he'd do classic rock. Mm-hmm. Because then he'd do a cover of the trucks. <gasps> Swamp Thing, down, down, yeah. down, down, Actually, that is what I mostly think of when I think of Swamp <laughs> Thing. So, yeah, he could play his own theme, basically, yeah. couldn't he? And I bet it would sell. So, yeah. <laughs> The other thing I was thinking of, you know, Mag- think about Magneto. I mean, we're talking a lot about a lot of comic characters here, but we'll move on from that in a minute. Magneto um, 
in a, like a hard rock band. Think how many guitars he could play at once. Yeah, yeah, because basically you're just kind of vibrating the metal strings, aren't you? <laughs> and yeah, if you really concentrated, you could play them all at once. Yeah, that'd be. It could be like a one-man opera show. Yeah, it'd be brilliant to watch him just him on stage, just guitars just swirling around him. Yeah, shredding away. It'd be pretty scary to be there, though, wouldn't it? I mean, you could just decide to kill the audience or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they hate mutants, then yes. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but he's not too keen on humans, is he? Really? <laughs> People that aren't mutants. I was thinking as well. You could have another. This is another uh, comic characters, but like Banshee and Black Canary. I know we're talking Doing dif- different uh, comic universes. But yeah, some sort of operatic voice. Beyond the range of human hearing. <laughs> really powerful cries. Or some sort of like really heavy power metal. You know, like uh, Judas Priest. Yeah. Um, you think about songs like uh, Painkiller, those sort of high-powered, really high-pitched notes. They'd ace them with, with their special They would. Cries. Yeah. Again, you'd have to be careful where they actually perform but yeah if they release a single that was just that I mean dogs would hear it <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Darth Vader could do like a, a cover album mm. but like metal it up a bit but do like uh, the Darth side of the moon Darth side yeah <laughs> so the just, dark side of the moon yeah. yeah but just for puns but I was just thinking you know he's he's not got much in the way of lung capacity anymore has he you know, well, quite famously, he hasn't. Famously no. <laughs> so. But I can, I bet he could do like a real throaty sort of growl. He could, Like a real yeah. like doom metal type growl. I can imagine him just being at the back on synths. Yeah. Yeah, The Emperor's at the front just belting out a song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that could be fun. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was thinking was, what would the Cylons play? From Battlestar Galactica. Um, yeah. Some sort of techno, maybe? Yeah, they would definitely be on techno as well. Um, because if they just did the vocals themselves, it would just sound like a voice mm. synthesizer. So there'd just be a load of music, and then them just going, by your command. <laughs> <laughs> Random times. Yeah. yeah. They could have, like, at the like the Cylon Boomer and Six at the front. and Yeah, yeah. Just all just the skin jobs there at the front. Yeah, just yeah. to give it a bit of a human element to it as well. Mm. Yeah, but it could be, like... But well, the Cylons like from throughout the ages, yeah, <laughs> doing, each doing different jobs and in the band. Yeah, well, I think with, that would work. With really Boltar well. at the back at drums, Boltar's just imprisoned somewhere <laughs> yeah. off the side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about uh, Xenomorph? Now, I was thinking about this. What kind of music would a Xenomorph perform? And I have to admit, I didn't think of them as being possible people that could release a single. I don't know why. Well, <laughs> well there's a lot of people in the in the charts that I didn't think of being possible people that could release a single. Uh, so let's let's <laughs> let, let's not be speciesist here, Richard. This, yeah. is a, this is a speciesist safe zone, a safe space. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but not so from a xenomorph. xenomorph. But yeah. yeah, I was thinking a xenomorph. My first thought would be, well, it's really dark. It's probably going to be metal. My blood is acid. Something but, like that. Yeah, but then I thought, let's just wild card here. Go with it. Pop music. Mm. A xenomorph as a pop star. Yeah, well, they're pretty skinny, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. They're, yeah, they're beach body ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I was thinking, because you, you see stories in the news about how like Justin Bieber's spat on his fans from high up. Oh, he could, yeah, a xenomorph would just... Burn through everybody. <laughs> a xenomorph spitting on his fans would just be even worse, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. And he is badly enough behaved that you could imagine him as like an out of control pop star. I can't, yeah, I don't imagine the xenomorph 
so much from the music side of it, but I can imagine them just acting badly and being in the tabloids all the time, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just causing scandals. Well, it's just it's just like the the front actor. It's kind of like when Phoebe Buffay on Friends got a single with Smiley Cat, and yeah. um, she was just like the front person. And there was someone else doing the music. It'd just be a xenomorph spitting on people. You know, in in the music videos and at the concerts, and somebody else in the background singing. Yeah, so somebody else like writes it for them. Because yeah. that's basically how pop, the pop industry works. I mean, none of them have got any talent. Okay, right, we're getting into. Matt's some going stuff into a now. dark place. Yeah, yeah. You need to listen to some of your uh, paranoid Android music. <laughs> and then you've got like Thor. 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 You could definitely see him the as music like of the gods. Uh, new wave of British heavy metal or Scandinavian metal. Yeah, I think yeah, just Scandinavian metal. Just him there at the front with it, one hammer in the air, head banging, his massive hair flying all yeah. over the place. Yeah, maybe. Um, it seems to be more like his looks seem to be more <laughs> like, and just the fact that he's like a lot of metal bands like to have like a Viking kind mm. of. So I feel like he would fall into that niche pretty quick, even if he tried to do a different type of music. Yeah. I think people, <laughs> I think all the uh, producers and everything would get him going down the metal yeah. route. <laughs> He's like, no, I just want to do ballads and sit on a stool. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking as well, um, do you remember for Red Nose, I'm sure it was for Red Nose Day the other, a couple of years ago, uh, Game of Thrones cast did some stuff. Yeah, you showed me that with uh, Chris and, Martin. Yeah. yeah, and I really loved... The uh, still going strong bit they did with uh, Peter Tyrion. Dinklage for t- yeah, Tyrion, that was and cool. I was just thinking, imagine Tyrion as a lounge singer, yeah, doing like some sort of like smooth jazz, you know, co- coffee in one hand or a whiskey or yeah, something like that, and yeah. a, you'll have like a cigar or something in the other hand, it's like a nice smoky. It's like when Stewie was showing how everybody had to be cool. He's yeah, doing Rocket Man just sitting <laughs> on the stool. Yeah, <laughs> but you could definitely see Tyrion in that kind of environment, can't you? Mm. You know, if 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 the global power pit fails, yeah, he's got a career. But it would be the goblet of wine and the jug of wine at the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Peter Dinklage. If you make that kind of album, we would probably listen to it. Yeah, two people at least. Yeah. yeah. So there's an audience. <laughs> um, Arwen. Arwen, yeah, some uh, elvish stuff. I don't know. Well, I was thinking she could do like a like a re- real medieval type mm. style music because there's, there's groups like the Medieval Babes. I don't know if you're familiar with those. It's like a a group of uh, female vocalists mm-hmm. who do sort of like all the that kind of medieval type flute music, and yeah. uh, it's re- they do some really good stuff. Uh, but there's also like the Celtic uh, Women, which is like a a group of like Irish Scottish singers. Yeah. Who, do Celtic style songs. I, I could see Arwen doing something like that. I imagine it sounding a bit like Enya if she did something. Like yeah, those kind of like <laughs> is that, is floaty. That, is that because like Enya did the Lord of the Rings soundtrack? Do you think? No, it's because there's you. Well, it's just when I just think of her being in a forest, like singing <laughs> that kind of stuff. That's what I think you of. You think Enya? Yeah, well, okay. Enya did that, that, yeah. that uh, album called The Celts as well, mm. and that seems to fit in with that. Yeah, kind yeah, of thing. definitely. Um, Psylocke. I was thinking Psylocke would be doing something classical. I can just see her there with a piano. I don't know why I'm saying that. but It seems like she was pushed pretty hard by her parents. So she, she probably would... learned a lot of piano when she was young. Yeah. Maybe. I, I can know. definitely see Psylocke on a piano. Yeah, and a bit like Magneto, could probably play the piano without being near it. Like, you know, <laughs> she'd play the piano the way he plays a guitar. Yeah. That's what, that's what I mean. <laughs> um, uh, Just a couple more came to mind here. Um, Carter. From SG1. Right, so going back into the sci-fi. Back to the she sci-fi. She releases... Well, 
I think she'd like release something in binary or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're like, the humans are dead. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> binary solo. <laughs> yeah, she, she, something very techno, I think, with her. Funny, I kind of saw her doing something country. I kind of see her singing, you know, maybe a song like Daniel's Dead for the Fifth Time or, mm. you know, When Your Archaeologist Goes Off. Or, yeah, or songs when you're about her in general, and you can't tell anybody. exactly those kind of those kind of songs. They they've all sound very country, mm. and you know if Amanda Tapping wants to put an album out, I would listen to it. So we're talking about Amanda Tapping now, not Carter. Well, as Carter. Okay. So, so Amanda right. Tapping, if you put on the uniform and do the album, we will <laughs> stop asking people to put on uniforms. <laughs> No, but Amanda Tapping is just a wonderful person. I just think that would be great, whether it was her or Sam. But she yeah. could definitely do some good country. Yeah, okay. And same it. same way, I kind of had like a country album in mind for the Firefly Girls. Well, it would definitely have to be country, wouldn't it? I, well, I was thinking about the the whole darn crew of, of Serenity, basically, <laughs> doing an album. Uh, yeah, it would have to be very kind of Western style, wouldn't it? But with kind of Chinese kind of... Like undertones in there as well, just to make it in keeping with the series. Yeah, just because it's such a strong kind of theme, isn't it? Mm. So, yeah, it would have to be something like that. So I could definitely see them doing something like that, and I think that the whole having the whole crew would be a lot of people. But it does mean that they could do the uh, the Jane song. I I just meant it's anybody. It doesn't have to be the Firefly Girls. That it could be like you could pick any random four of them. To yeah. form a band, basically, but yeah, like Jane would, Mal and Zoe and yeah. whoever we were, whoever was in it. Yeah, if Jane was there, he'd definitely want to sing the hero of Canty, <laughs> <laughs> the man they call me. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if he's not in the band, I can imagine Jane rocking out to the band. Yeah, yeah, I think he'd he'd like it. Yeah, Jane would probably be there as security. Yeah, but he'd just throw everybody out or something. <laughs> yeah, 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 or forget. Yeah. Well, what about I've not really given this much thought but what about uh, Major what kind of music can you see Major Matoko uh, um, coming out with from I Ghost in the Shell it would have to be techno stuff wouldn't it really but they um, like in Standalone Complex they definitely kind of get into some quite old stuff from the uh, like the from the 20th century mm. so I don't know I think either techno or kind of classic alt rock kind of thing yeah. It would have to be something a little bit different, whatever it was, because um, she doesn't tend to like to be categorised. Yeah, I can go with that. What about Chewbacca? What kind of music would Chewbacca do, you think? Chewbacca. Does this just turn into now me quizzing Richard on his thoughts? It would just be him on the bongos going... <laughs> bongo, bongo, bongo. Yeah, hand going, what are you doing? <laughs> well, Chewbacca can make whatever music he wants, basically. Yeah, yeah no one's going to complain, because he'll just rip their arms off. Yeah, I think so, yeah. What did you think about Chewbacca's music? I, th- yeah, I was thinking some sort of drum solo. I can just imagine yeah. him just going, oh, whacking like <laughs> yeah. drums. You yeah, know, similar definitely thought, Definitely something yeah. like that. But mm. what about Batman? Batman. Um, also, I mean, we're not talking about the Batman videos, the Batman metal videos that people have made, the animated stuff. No, not that kind but of stuff. I can still see him doing some sort of metal I think it would be metal kind of thing. I think he knows a lot about classical music mm. and stuff just from his uh, Bruce Wayne upbringing. So maybe something like neoclassical metal, or yeah, metal, but where like it's so technically proficient, like uh, Ingrid Malmsteen, that kind uh, of thing. Yeah, like, really fast. Malmsteen or Nightwish, that kind of style. 
yeah, classical yeah. elements. Yeah, I don't think I don't mean that it have violins in it. I just mean it would be metal um, that like shifts through a few different keys and things like mm. that. It would be very cerebral, I think, <laughs> just because it's Batman. So, who else do you think? Any other thoughts? What are those thoughts? I was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I was mostly thinking of like um, different uh, people from sci-fi mm. more than anything. I think we've kind of covered most of the ones I was thinking of. My mind kind of, for some reason, went quite in the comic book direction. Mm. And I think that's partly because I've been reading a lot of comic books, and partly mm. of late, and partly because... Well, graphic novels I've been reading, should I say? And uh, that's partly just a whole bunch of comics. Put I together. still got a lot of like the characters in my head Not from just. our last Tiny Meeple's Big Talk, which was the worst, yeah, uh, yeah. worst comic book characters to work with. In well, Dog Welder would make the worst album ever. <laughs> I suppose. Dog Welder's album would just be dogs crying out in pain while they're being welded to people's faces, like yeah, Barks so. of the Underworld or something yeah, like that. We can't just go about on about him and every Tiny Meeple's <laughs> Big Talk. No, um, no, I disagree. I think. <laughs> I think, I think no matter what the subject is, we can always come back to Dogwelder. Because by him. I don't I think we have to, we have to remember the horrors of Dogwelder or we'll we'll make the same mistakes again, Richard. We'll be cursed to repeat it, yeah. yeah. Um also what what I've been reading race, recently is um Leviathan Wakes, the first right. book of the Expanse, which I'm gonna talk about next in Tone Talk. And ah, uh, preview. a few people might have been watching the Expanse on mm. Netflix and I think Miller from that the uh, he's a proper like hardball detective in space. I think he'd be into like blues type stuff, um, but obviously very kind of probably using some kind of futuristic instruments and stuff. But you know whatever's depressing after a, a hard day on a on a depressing case <laughs> when you're on an asteroid. So we've gone through quite a few different options of what we think you know who we think should be making music and what kind of music they would be making, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we've got plenty there to get swifty to we have yeah i mean the reason we didn't mention rick is that he already did his song yeah, so, yeah. and to be honest i would probably have mentioned red dwarf if it wasn't for the fact that the you, you know the cat's already done a single yeah but there is um, um. as well <laughs> which is a classic obviously <laughs> <laughs> so there we go so what do you think do, who out of uh, fiction whether it be comic book character sci-fi character fantasy etc who do you think uh or who can you imagine seeing release an album or a single a music video what kind of music would it be and why what are those thoughts we want to know drop us a message let us know and even if you if you can't imagine something can you imagine what it might be like if you could well there we are <laughs> yeah okay the meddlesome meeples present music news and reviews in conjunction with paradise rock uk hi everyone welcome to the bard's corner before we go any further um just a sad announcement, if you've not already seen it in the news. Tom Petty's passed away age 66, uh, of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, he was a very well-loved singer-songwriter. Um, obviously, our condolences go out to the family that he left behind. Yeah. Um, one thing that I did think I wanted to specifically mention, and I thought it was quite sad, uh, was that his death was being reported on by news outlets before he'd actually died. Now, I'm sure this was uh, partly made by mistake and partly people wanting to break the story (laughs) first. So, you know, and unfortunately, that's obviously caused distress to the family. In fact, his daughter um, made a post uh, slating, I think it was Rolling Stone, about it. 
I think there's a natural tendency to want to report something mm. when something's happened. Sometimes I think perhaps people's desire to be the first to report it causes them to make mistakes. Now it was a, it'd been rushed to hospital with a cardiac arrest, mm. um, and he was still fighting for his life while surrounded by his family and there were reports going around of his death that's not nice no, it's not very so, humane is it really no, no. so hopefully uh, you know people will be will wait for confirmation before reporting it was later report uh, confirmed by his manager that he had passed away um, but yeah it was very very sad and very poorly handled by the mainstream media as well the Keith Emerson estate has announced a re-release of Emerson plays Emerson that's going to be available on CD and download it's out now uh, basically this has been a collection of you know some rare pieces some keyboard pieces it's been out of print in a collector's item for a long time uh, but the estate have decided to do it, make a re-release using the master tapes by Abbey Road a 2017 remaster this artwork from the original art files uh, the, the book liner notes will be in English, Italian and German so that's getting a re-release, you can get that right now. So Dutch Rock Legends Focus have announced a new double album collection, that's the Focus Family Album. Uh, that's going to have extensive unreleased material as well as some new material. So just to give you an idea, there's some there's uh, 15 unreleased original songs across the two CD set. There's some alternate versions from the Focus 10 sessions, solo tracks from each of the current members, and tracks from the beginning of the Focus 11 uh, sessions as well. So that has been in preparation over the last 12 months. Uh, you can check that out on paradiserock.co.uk for more information, including where to buy the album. I like the cover. Reminds yeah. me very much of the Sonic colours. Yeah, it's got some quite Blue, funky green. artwork. Yep. On to tour news now. First off, One-Eyed Doll are currently on their Something Wicked World Tour. They're currently touring the US until the November the 1st. Then from the 3rd of November, they're going to be playing European dates. That's going to be from the 3rd to the 19th of November. That includes seven dates in the UK and Ireland. If you're not familiar with them, they are quite a... Imagine a punky lacuna coil. It's pretty much the uh, the, the music and the, the stage show that you'll be getting. Also, Beth Hart, very powerful blues rock singer... Um, she's just announced a tour for April and May. That's going to be running from the 10th of April to the 5th of May in the UK. That's 14 dates in total. Some of those dates are already sold out or near sold out. So if you want to find out more about those dates, check on paradiserock.co.uk. On to albums news now. And Jessica Wolfe will be releasing her Grounded album, which is her second album, on the 17th of November via Metalopolis Records. Now this is uh, really for fans of people like Roxette and Pink. Um, some have compared it to Rob and Beck, but I don't think that's a very natural comparison. Uh, I think it's more rock than either Roxette or Pink though. Uh, I think she'll have a widespread appeal. Uh, she's got several videos online you can check out on, on YouTube. Uh, I, to be honest, when I first saw her, uh, when I first had the, the promo through, Looking at the artwork and the picture of her on the artwork, I actually thought it was uh, Liv from uh, Leaves Eyes. She's got quite. Oh, yeah, she's got. She's well, got a yeah. look. Well, the, the hair actually put me in mind of um, Catherine Winnick. You know, the the actress that plays Lagatha in Vikings. Mm. Very much that kind of look to her as well. Um, Punky. Yeah. Right now, Italian female-fronted 
Gothic Metal Serenade. Uh, they're really releasing their album Anarica on November the 10th. That's going to be via Revolve Records. Uh, I had listened to some of that. It's very, very good. We've not had the full promo through yet, so we'll be coming back to that in due course. A couple of other albums that we wanted to talk about. Uh, first off, Alley Guns, The Missing Piece. Now, this is out on the 13th of October via Frontiers Records. So this is the original pairing of uh, Phil and Tracy. So very pleased to see them back together and putting an album out. A few very particular highlights on there, I thought. A Drop of Bleach was excellent. Christine, great ballad. Uh, the Floods, The Floods, The Fault of the Rain. I thought it was uh, like The Floods of Bleach then. <laughs> yeah. No, The Floods, The Fault of the Rain, The Devil Made Me Do It. Both absolutely fantastic songs. The Missing Piece as well. Great rock song. Great rock album. We're giving this one an 8 out of 10. I'm highly recommending it. If you liked Tracy Gunn's, uh, he's got a very unique style of playing guitar, then you'll definitely like this album. If you like the earlier Ale Guns albums, this is definitely one that you want to check out. It's a very good hard rock album. The other album we want to talk about today briefly, Dante's Fox, Six String Revolver. Now this is out on the 24th of November via AOR Heaven. So Dante's Fox have been around on the melodic rock scene for a few years. Female fronted the lead singer Sue Willetts. Uh, one of the first actual uh, female melodic rock singers that I really started listening to um, really got me into female melodic rock very good band uh, c quite often very underrated band they've uh, had some very good critical acclaim but I don't think they get the uh, notoriety that they deserve this is really like a, a homage to their early material so you've got a lot of reworkings rewrites of uh, their earlier albums, their earlier songs. I would say that these are complete rewrites as well. They they're not just a modern re-recording. They have uh, gone back and written from the ground up a lot mm. of these songs. A lot more powerful than the originals, I thought. A voice definitely is a lot more powerful. Yeah. yeah. And I think part of that is because with with time and experience, she's mm. gained more vocal ability, Sue Willett, but also. Just the sheer fact that they've got better recording gear, better production, allows that voice to come through more to the fore as well. So uh, some of these songs have haven't got the same necessary the raw power of uh, some of the early material, but they're more refined, uh, more powerful. There's more synth in there. Mm. Uh, Eric Ragno appears on keyboards. Very well written and very well worth it. And my favourite uh, song from the original recordings. Um, which was Remember My Name, is still my favourite song from these, but I'd say that when you're looking at um, reworks, rewrites, re-releases, quite often it's either the same material uh, that was originally made, or it's uh, very slightly tweaked, whereas I'd say with these, they are reworked from the ground up, so they're very oh, different yeah. sounds. So I'd say if you've got the original recordings, then you still definitely want to think about uh, looking at this album, because you really are going to get uh, value for your money. As I say, when you, I listen to some of the, the original songs straight after listening to some of these, they, and you, there is a clear difference there, not mm. just in the level of the production, uh, not just with, well. yeah, the quality of the recordings were, were much better. Uh, Sue Willett's voice comes through a lot more strongly. Uh, the fact that they've introduced more keyboards in a more prominent role gives it uh, things a different sound as well. But I'd definitely say this is one to check out whether you've got the original 
albums or not. If you like melodic rock, if you like melodic hard rock, if you like female-fronted melodic hard rock, then you need to check out the Dante Fox Six String Revolver. It's out on the 24th of the November uh, via AOR Heaven. Uh, we're giving it a 9 out of 10. And uh, all being well, we'll be interviewing Tim Manford very soon. I don't know who you are, but we're the Middlesome Meeples. And it's time to talk about books. A very particular set of books. Welcome to Tome Talk, and today Matt is going to tell us about this book called Under the Eagle by Simon Scallow. Yeah, now this is a book that is probably one of our more recent uh, books, if not mm-hmm. the most recent so far. Right. Uh, this is a release from 2000, so right, okay. fairly modern compared to some of the, the sci-fi classics that we, and yeah. horror books that we've discussed in the past. I was trying to think if past. we've done any that are... More recent, but no. Most of the fantasy books that I've talked about predate this book as well, so mm. this is definitely one of our more recent books. Uh, but yeah, it's by Simon Scarrow. Now, Simon Scarrow was a, a history teacher mm-hmm. before he retired to become a full-time writer. He's very uh, well known in the history community. He's fairly respect, fairly well respected as a historian himself, mm-hmm. um, and he specialises in Roman history. Mm-hmm. So he has done other books. So he's, he's He's got a book out about like 16th century. Um, he's got a book. He's got several books about Wellington and Napoleon out. But these books uh, is part of a series, mm-hmm. and it deals with Roman Britain so primarily. This, yeah, Roman is that Britain. the first one of the series? This is the first one of the series mm-hmm. under the uh, under the eagle, and that hence the uh, the series itself is referred to collectively as Eagles of the Empire. Right, and it's up to 16 books so far. Okay. Well, does it does it refer to the standard bearer thing? Yeah, it's the uh, under the eagles, and you're marching under the right. eagle. The standard uh, bearer would carry that signified imperial Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this really revolves around two characters. One is a, a guy called Quintus Licinius Cato, Good and name. the other one Macro. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> With a C, not a K. If right. The, yeah. Yeah. Macro. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and these characters are two very polar opposite characters. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've got Cato, who's very calm, very cool-headed, very intelligent, well-educated man. He was mm-hmm. taught at the um, palace in Rome. So, as you can imagine, the top sort of scholars of ancient Rome were amongst his tutors. Um, he's a very brave man, mm-hmm. a very determined man. He's a very human, humane guy. He wants to help people, yeah. but. Is does his main flaws are that he can tend to overthink a situation mm-hmm. um, sometimes, and he can be quite insecure about how others perceive him. Right. Mm. Partly that's because of his his uh, origin, which we'll, we'll come to in a moment. The other character, uh, Macro. Now I kind of like Macro because he's uh, physically he's kind of built like me, <laughs> no. in the sense that he's like he's, he's a shortish guy, five six. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm five seven. <clears throat> well, be generous. No, no, no one can tell on the camera. I'm I'm six foot tall, Richard. You know. <laughs> yeah. We keep having to make the camera go further. Away. Yeah. <laughs> but he's uh, he's quite stocky. Um, mm. In fact, he weighs pretty much my exact weight, except with him, it's all muscle, and with me, it's mostly not muscle. Right. Okay. Um, it's brain. <laughs> <laughs> 
but he's Macro is uh, very different to Kato in that he's like a professional, no nonsense soldier that's been part of the legions for many years. Right. He, so more it's the education level that's different. So yeah, yeah, and he's um, actually I'd say they're both from quite a common background. Mm. But again, I'll come to that more in a minute. Whereas where Kato can sometimes overthink things. Mm-hmm. He macro is very decisive. He doesn't tend to spend long thinking about things at all. He just That's not an issue. he just picks something <laughs> and just sort of like charges forward. Yeah. Um, but he's a very brave man. He's very loyal to his friends. Incredibly loyal to Rome and the Legion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he can be a bit impulsive at times because okay. of his decisiveness. And he likes he likes to drink. He likes to brawl. So mm. you quite often you'll he'll be out in the taverns in the evening getting into fights with people. And all right, okay. So do they like Britain? Like being there? Because um, I, I always imagine Romans didn't. Most Romans don't like Britain from <laughs> no. what we can gather. But then if you can imagine living in this climate, if you're used to, for example, Rome. Yeah, although many of the legions were made up from people from all over the empire. So yeah, yeah, it would be quite different. But um, going looking at this, this starts off in AD 42. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cato is assigned to the second legion. On, and is acting under as the Optio, which is like the second in command of a, a of a century. Right. Macro is the centurion. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And this is where the initial sort of conflict with Cato and the rest of the unit come from because what, favoritism. Basically, yeah, because mm-hmm. um this is his first assignment. He's never been in the army before. Mm-hmm. Um Cato's history is that his father was a slave mm-hmm. in the imperial palace. He was then freed, mm-hmm. and likewise, Cato himself then became a free man right. as a consequence of that. Um, but because of those imperial connections, he got placed right into a second, second in command post. Yeah, right. over men who had been fighting for years and were a lot older than he was. Yeah, and so that naturally caused a certain amount of resentment and conflict. So Cato comes into this position expecting to almost kind of like be welcomed by this unit and finds out they're actually quite hostile and he's got to find a way to win them over. Mm. Um, And it starts off with them in Germany and he's got to prove himself and then the uh, the legion gets attacked by Germanic tribes, etc. But uh, over the course of the story and I'm not talking about this individual book, but over the various books in the series mm. we see them go to Britain take part in the conquest of Britain under uh, Vespasian mm-hmm. uh, Vespasian was the commander of the second legion and yeah. he as we know became uh, one of the Roman emperors he ruled for 10 years didn't he yeah. From, was it yeah. AD 69 to 79 I believe mm. it was the, the last of the year of the four emperors wasn't he I remember he's one of the very quick succession emperors. Yeah, there was four emperors that that uh, took power in quick succession within like the space of a year, mm. um, and he was the last one, and he actually ruled for ten years. Yeah, but he was tactically he was a very good mind. Mm-hmm. He was still very politically savvy as well, um, but he is one of the characters that you see in this because they're acting yeah. under his command. Right. So this actually take part in the conquest of Britain. Of Britain, yeah. yeah. And the first the first few books in the series focus on that. I mean, it doesn't go straight into that in um, Under the Eagle no. because it starts off with them, in, with them in Germany, but then they're going over to Britain to uh, take part in that conquest. But several of the first books, I think the first four or five books in the series, mm-hmm. deal with the conquest of Britain and you know certain issues with the tribes. And they're very good books. Mm-hmm. And then they come back to Britain after a quite a period of time because right. there's um, during their 
um, their assignments, they get posted to different legions to deal with different issues. So they end up not just at Britain, but you see them travelling out to Syria, uh, Palmyra, Parthia, Crete, mm -hmm. Egypt, Spain. There's a couple of books set in Rome itself. And one of the interesting things about the series is it draws on both of these two characters' backgrounds. So you've got uh, very much the military side of things with Macro, mm -hmm. and Cato, because of his uh, background, he's tied in with some of the imperial intrigue and the politics. Right. So okay. yeah. he ha he's kind of like fighting in two different arenas almost. Mm. Um, and some of these, so for example, one of the books in the series, Praetorian, is set completely in Rome when these two are brought back because um, they think that a plot has come up amongst the Praetorian yeah. guard to kill the emperor. Right. So they bring in Cato and Macro and to, they're like, well, another to adventure. And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the two of them. So they have to sort of try and uncover this plot. So mm. that's all about the intrigue. And what's interesting as well is that we see Cato grow from being the Optio, the second in command, mm. over the course of the, the, the series to being a prefect. And he's actually acting as uh, Macro's commander. Mm. But it's a fantastic uh, journey that we see with these two as they go through their own growth and also. Yeah their friendship as they come together they have a really great friendship and it's really great reading about their loyalty to each other as well as to the yeah, men under their good. command so uh, you say it's 16 books is that still kind of ongoing it's still ongoing mm. it's still right. ongoing um and as i say they've, they've now they've sort of circled back round to britain again okay in the, yeah <laughs> in the course of course of all this getting towards first <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, in that interim period, they're fighting uh, this books where they have to fight pirates and <laughs> stop uh, pirates from you know threatening Rome. There's books where they have to go and defeat you know like slave rebellions led mm. by gladiators. But it is a really fantastic book. Now there are I, I love historical fiction, and there's several writers that I particularly love in that genre. Bernard Cornwall is one I've spoken about before. On, it sounds similar to that. Well, I was going to say, if you like Bernard Cornwall, you absolutely must check out Simon Scarrow. Mm -hmm. If you like Conigordon, because Conigordon is another one of my favourites, and he again wrote about Rome. Although my favourite series that Conigordon wrote was about the Mongolians and the rise mm. of Genghis Khan. Right, yeah. And they've both got quite different uh, ways of approaching, for example, the battles. So, for example, with uh, Bernard Cornwall, he, he can write about like large-scale encounters... It and he can do it well, but it tends to be about one. Yeah, he tends to like bring it down to like the hero's point of view or one of the other main characters, and it's sort mm. of a, like a really close in one on one sort of thing. Yeah. Conigordon tends to take it very much out to the entire mass of the battle yeah. and des describing huge encounters. Um, Simon Scarrow can do both of those, and he can do both of them very well. Mm. So sometimes it'll be like a it'll it'll start off with like descriptions of the two sides clashing yeah. and then you've got like a it will come in to t talk about what's happening with macro yeah. um and you know he does manages to do both of those sort of feel you know large field of view type and one-on-one -on -one encounters very very yeah. well sounds a bit like you're playing medieval total war and you keep, yeah keep zooming in and out yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like that it is like that and as i say there's it's not just about the military campaigns because there's a lot of the intrigue even from mm. from book one people are starting to sort of draw Cato in because he kind of people know that he's come from the palace but they don't really know much about him right, so they yeah. don't really know 
who he, <laughs> you know, how he got to where he is, why he's there, and is he, they kind of know he's connected to some of the very important people in the palace. Yeah. Um. So they they're kind of a little bit wary, but also kind of want to use him. Maybe. Yeah. He can keep dropping yeah. hints. <laughs> oh, so, how's the mistress? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so it it um it really does do a good job of combining some of those political intrigue elements with the military campaigns hmm. and one of the things I love about historical fiction is that I love the history as yeah. well as I love the fiction and so I look for authors who have got a really good grounding and understanding of those times Yeah, not just able to describe concept. you know not just able to describe the events themselves yeah. but an understanding of why certain things happen in history why people maybe did things a certain way how mm. certain cultures might have thought and reacted and when you can then take like a fictional character like Macro and Cato and put them into those real events with people like Vespasian mm. that means that you can also learn a lot about the history mm. of well, the events as well as just a, a, a nice story set in those but It makes the history easier to remember doesn't it? Because it does. then like when you are reading something just about the history and that it mentions Vespasian, you can just think about scenes in the book mm. and you think, and you don't need to like memorize things about his life because you think, oh, I already read it in a novel. And yeah. uh, when you find out certain things really did happen, then um, yeah, it's like, well, there's a load of history you already know. Cause I've that. <laughs> yeah. So Simon Scarrow is without doubt one of, to me, one of the masters of historical fiction. Um, one of my absolute personal favourites and I absolutely love this series. So that's the Eagle series you say? The, the series is Eagles of the Empire. Eagles of the Empire. The book yeah. itself is the, Under the Eagle. So if you wanted to start reading the uh, Eagles of the Empire then that is the book to start with. Yeah. And, and try and get through the 16 before he writes another one. And it is the best uh, sort of Roman historical fiction that I've read and I've read quite a lot of... of I might of, hold you to that. If you say something, <laughs> if another time you claim something's the best Roman historical fiction, then well, it's, we'll it's fairly niche, again. isn't it? It's yeah, well, you think so. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of historic, you know, historical fiction books about ancient Rome and mm. the legions. But this, by far, because it's not just, it's really exciting as you're reading through the events. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really exciting to read the, you know, the the, the style of the writing. It's fast paced. Yeah. Um, and also, it's great to have characters that are very imperfect. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what makes an interesting story, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So, really relatable characters in that sense. So, definitely check out that. That's Under the Eagle by Simon Scarrow. Well, that was fun. Let's carry on with the show. The Meeples Alive! So thank you for joining us for episode 17 of The Medicine Meeples. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but uh, please drop by our social media sites and say hi on Facebook and Twitter and let us know what you think of this show. Particularly, do you agree with the thoughts that we've had on our games and on our uh, musical characters? Let us know. Yeah, and this time with the games, you can say whether you agree with me or Matt. There is a right answer. There is. And it's not Richard. <laughs> I'm not allowed to comment, right? <laughs> Actually, Heather's kind of like the deciding factor in a way, because no, 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 I don't, don't make me do that. Do you remember? No, I, I no, like, I like living. <laughs> no. Let's let the kids at home decide. Yeah, let us know what you think. Oh, I'm an adult. So thank you for joining us. Stay meddlesome. Farewell, Questa, and thanks for joining us. 
If you wish to avoid the wrath of Grayscar and the Black, then subscribe to our show before you depart. Our fortress is located at meddlesomemeeples.com or join our banners by rendezvousing with us at facebook.com forward slash meddlesomemeeples, instagram.com forward slash the meddlesomemeeples, or follow the flight of the mountain bluebird to at meddlesomemeeples. Until next time, Quester, farewell and keep thine axe sharp.